Well, hello, hello. Welcome to Orchid Bloom's podcast. Welcome back, bloomers. This evening, we have a special guest. She's a guest that's been on this podcast before. Her name is Tachanisha Regan, and she will be here to discuss professional development. For the last few podcast episodes of this season, I wanted to kind of focus on work environment and careers. And I definitely wanted to discuss with professionals, especially someone who is in the industry of employing people or um, helping people find jobs and mentorship. I felt that Tatanisha Regan, who has years of experience behind her in regards to, to helping people find job and finding mentorship, should definitely be our guest this month of April to talk about professional development and maybe even answer a few questions that I'm very curious about. I definitely wanted to hear her feedback in regards to tailored questions that I've put together to have someone at, at her professional level to truly discuss on this podcast. And hopefully this will help you in your job pursuits or your career and what you're specifically looking for and also providing direction. So let's begin. Hi, Tatanisha. Hi, Orchid. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you back. It's been long time and I've been wanting to get you on this podcast to talk about this topic about professional development for a while but we finally made some time mm-hmm. in our busy schedule so oh yes yes so that the audience knows Tatanisha Reagan will be sharing her development in her career as um, in the employment services and how she has effectively impacted her community so my questions might be a little bit hard, but I trust that Tatanisha is going to be able to handle all of it because she's always been that professional in everything that she does. So my first question for you, Tatanisha, in our first podcast episode together, you shared with us your background. Today, I would like to focus on your career. Can you repeat what you studied in college after you com- after your completion of university? Right. Yes. Um, so I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly after university. I mentioned that in the last episode. Um, and so I thought college would be a great next step to get me into the labor market right away. And it turned out to actually, uh, do that. And so I went to college for a social service worker, uh, diploma, um, and it so happened that there was two streams at the college I attended. Um, there was a fast track of eight months, and there was also a two-year program. So given my university credentials uh, and volunteer experience in the community, um, I was able to do the fast track eight months, which ended in a work placement. Okay. So after you completed the required courses, you were placed in a placement for work experience, as you just pointed out. So where did you complete your placement? Yeah, so I uh, I did my work placement at a employment support agency uh, that specialized in supporting people with disabilities. Um, so I'll say this visible and invisible disabilities, and I'll explain that a little bit where um, the mission and the mandate was was to support uh, people with mental illness uh, or other mental health challenges 
is substance misuse, um, uh, co um, co uh, different issues. So it could be a combination of mental illness plus substance use. So uh, it was a really great place to work in that I was exposed to a lot of people from different backgrounds um, who. You know, just wonderful to me. I, I really, really enjoyed my placement experience. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I mean, I feel like I've done placements before, and I really enjoyed them myself. They, you know, they kind of created a, a good, a, a good objective plan on how to train new people coming out of school. And I really appreciated that they made sure to to focus on on those objectives and making sure that you understand like this, this is why we're showing you this. This is why we're teaching you this so that you could be more effective in this area going forward. So I really like placements. I find that it takes a little bit, it's not a lot of pressure. I find working in a placement, whereas if you go into a regular job where you're applying with all of your credentials, it's like they're expecting you to do the most and to know almost everything. So we'll get to that later on in the questionings, but how beneficial did you find Mm -hmm. the work experience that they provided? And in your opinion, was it useful? Absolutely. Uh, Hugely beneficial. Um, I was positioned in kind of like the hub of the building. It's called the Resource Center, uh, where people were looking for resume writing supports, cover letter writing supports, and uh, I was able to help them uh, with a bit of autonomy, which was great. I'm, I'm someone who likes to have that, that flexibility, so it was wonderful to kind of launch my career and, and have that kind of freedom to support people in the way that I thought um, matched the need. Um, I got to do a lot of administrative work that, I, uh, that helped kind of strengthen my ability to, um, do record keeping and, and reporting and such, uh, such things like that. Um, it was so beneficial. I really got us exposed to a lot of project management sort of, uh, ideas and methods. It's, it was great. Okay, wonderful. I mean, based on everything that you're saying, I would definitely feel that, you know, you would highly recommend anyone to take advantage of any placements being offered, especially if they're coming out of college or university. So based on everything that you're saying is what I'm, is what I'm, what I'm understanding at this point. So what would be your advice to students that are trying to retain a paid position with their placement? How will this set them up for success? So yeah, I, I recommend it to my uh, nieces and nephews. I really highlight the advantage of practical learning. Um, in university, it got a lot of theoretical, sort of ask, abstract learning, um, got to be exposed to different philosophies, ideologies, but there's nothing really like being frontline, being on the ground and actually uh, seeing what that looks like in reality. Um, and if these models and theories hold up. And so I would highly recommend students to seek out programs that offer them a placement. I was fortunate enough, you know, three months into my placement, I was offered a job. And so that really changed the game for me. Sometimes you can get paid placements, which is great. Some institutions offer that and universities do, um, but some institutions don't offer paid. So I know it can be challenging for myself. I had to work in retail while doing my placement and going to school. So it was, it was 
quite a bit, but um, like I said, three months into my placement, I, I got a job. Wow. So I would recommend it. That's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good accomplishment to have, definitely. What mindset or skills did you use to further your professional development? Right. Um, I would say humility was one mm. mindset. And I say that because you're in a learning position. And so anybody you're interacting with uh, can teach you something. Um, and I'm not just saying like your managers or the administrators. Um, I'm saying the clients as well. They're going to be probably your the, the best people to source for feedback as to how you're doing. So I was constantly asking questions, um, asking people for feedback on the things that I was doing, asking if people understood things that I was saying, how I was communicating, um, getting recommendations from my colleagues. Um, I even had informational interviews with some of the directors of the organization. So I was constantly in a kind of learning growth mindset. Um, I would say, yeah, if you haven't heard of what a growth mindset is, um, definitely pick up the book, Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck, a psychologist who does research in this area. It is a game changer. Um, It really helps to break down how you can progress in life uh, using the skills you have and and working to gain skills that you might not have. So yeah, a growth mindset, a bit of humility, that's really the approach that I took. Okay. So you were offered the position of employment support specialist and program facilitator, correct? Yes. Yes. And you basically you were the best person for this position based on everything that you talked about when it comes to mindset and the skills that you brought to the table. So congratulations on that. Um, what did you learn Thank about you. <laughs> what did you learn about yourself specifically? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> I really love this question. I learned a whole lot about myself. Um, I learned that I was good under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned that you know when when situation crises situations came up, I was very much um, even keel. Um, I remained you know confident in my approach. Sometimes I got even more sort of kind of clear as to like what's next steps. Sometimes you know even being on the youngest person on the team, um, people were looking to me uh, for for advice and direction. So I also learned that I have a leadership streak. So uh, I learned quite a bit. I learned quite a bit about myself. Feel like I don't. I didn't give you the exhaustive list, but those were definitely the main takeaways. I learned that um, I'm pretty resilient, and uh, uh, people look to me as a leader at times. Oh yes, definitely. I can see the leadership part. Just the way that you speak, even when we're on a personal level, you, your, the way your mind works, it's it's phenomenal. You, your level of communication is just so on point. Sometimes I look at you and I think to myself, I wish I could communicate as effectively as Tatanisha. I do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I have to say, um, I learned my best communication lessons in retail, I have to say. Um, I was in commission sales, and that will definitely teach you how to um, approach different types of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, uh, as a psychology undergrad, I just kind of absorbed as much information as possible as to uh, how to communicate. And I think it's a really good skill to focus on, and I, I really... Appreciate your kind words. Thank you for that. (laughs) 
well, it's not that kind, you know, that's really what I think about you. It's not just kind words. It's my real thought. So based on your LinkedIn profile, your work largely focus focuses on the economic development of marginalized communities. Can you tell me more about your role in supporting people living with mental illness and addiction? Right. Yes. Yes. That's, um, that makes up a, a good chunk of my LinkedIn and my job experience because it's really where um, I get the most fulfillment. And it's, uh, I think people really underestimate uh, the abilities and capabilities of someone who's kind of struggling with uh, their mental health. I think only through the pandemic have we been able to have real conversations around mental wellness. Um, and it's been something that that I've uh, been obsessed with for a long time, hence why I pursued uh, studies in psychology. So, you know, I really recognize that we have a legacy, you know, in our mental health structure system right now where, you know, we back in the day, we would put people in, in institutions, in asylums, because we didn't want to deal with them. You know, and, you know, only recently are we really seeing the human uh, in the person who maybe is struggling with addictions, maybe uh, had a, a breakdown, a psychosis. Um, I work with so many different people with different ends of the spectrum. And I can tell you um, some of the most, there's some of the most resilient, some of the most wholehearted people you can find on this planet. And um, what I loved about the economic development end of it was that I could help them uh, showcase their talent, communicate to employers about their capabilities, their skills, their strengths, um, what they can bring to the team. Um, I got a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun at doing that. Um, so that's why it makes up a big chunk of, of my resume and, and now I'm working with a different demographic, but um, I'm really happy that's where I got my start. Okay. All right. So where and when did your passion to help people develop? And this is more of my curiosity, being your friend for so long. I actually don't know this answer. So <laughs> I had to ask. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I would say this passion, I can't remember where it's. <laughs> it was, I'm always there. Um, my I come from a, a line of uh, really giving people. Um, I think of my grandmother who's in Jamaica. Who uh, when she was alive, she you know, she had a shop and she would overgive. <laughs> she would. You know, she would be the one you go to, oh, I'm not able to pay this, can you help me, you know? So she, I come from a line of people who who participated in the gift economy, who participated in just, like, wanting to see people succeed, um, you know, and just being generous. I think I've gained so much out of, you know, just giving. Giving things freely, I've received so much. And I think that while we live in a system where, you know, it's largely you know, transactional, you know, there's lots of money involved. There's, there's a part of it where uh, relationships are really built around, you know, just giving without the expectation of getting. And that's why I spent a lot of time volunteering, which helped me get into this career, right? I spent a lot of time, um, I, I volunteered with uh, Syrian refugee uh, women, mothers, uh, and that was a beautiful experience. I spent a lot of uh, time mentoring black youth. Um, so, all these things, like they're volunteer things, I would do them without getting paid. And that's what really helped me realize that um, 
um, you know, this is what I wanted to do as a career. And so, you know, the girls also got bills. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) I wanted to come, you know, in order to fund my volunteering, I needed to also kind of do it as a paid role. So I was fortunate enough to to work in my field, which not everybody gets to do, um, and see the impact of some of the things I I get to do on a day-to-day basis. Okay, because I've always, you know, just been curious, because you've always had this nurturing, nurturing way about you. In every interaction that you have with how many different people, you, the consistency in the way that you nurture everyone, it's, it's, it just made me think, wow, like, could I ever get on that level of just being so kind and courageous and encouraging and supportive and you do it so effortlessly so I figured it was a passion of yours so that's why I you know tailored that question to focus on you know where it came from thank you for saying that um yeah I I, like I said I come from a long line of people who have done that so it just feels natural um I think also some of my biggest aspirations for not only myself but the world is more kindness so I figured you know why not start with me and uh yeah well the next question I have on my list might be it's going to be the total opposite of what I just asked you (laughs) so I hope you're prepared um not many people talk about the challenges faced in helping professionals like yourself especially what happens when people don't really want to be helped I am assuming that it required a lot of effort from you how did you overcome that right yes um Yes, not really. Uh, yeah, it's not often discussed. Um, some of the burnout that happens in the helping profession um, when you are, uh, you know, focused on empowering other people, uplifting other people, um, you can really get drained because, you know, part of being in the nonprofit sector is that, it, you know, chronically under-resourced. So you might be spread a little thin. Um, and so when it comes to someone who just, who doesn't want your help at all, like sometimes I, I've worked, I have worked with people who are mandated to, to meet with me. So, you know, by the courts, not necessarily wanting to, um, it does definitely takes a specific approach. Um, like in the, uh, in the, in the approach, it's, it's more along the lines of being honest. Um, and it requires you to kind of recognize the, the power dynamics that are at play. A lot of people who don't want to be helped, you know, it might be that they feel powerless, you know, they feel like they don't have very much control over their lives. And so that is a understandable reaction. Um, and so in the helping profession, whether it's like social work, psychotherapy psychology um at least for my training you know what you do is really find ways to help people get their power back or at least recognize the power that they already have um so those are those are some ways that i overcome it is is really um helping people recognize and identify what they do have there in their control um and explore possibilities as to um what their options are and i've seen that i've witnessed uh people um really flourish with that kind of approach um and start like, kind of taking charge of their life um so it's it's deeply fulfilling and honestly it you know if you do it right it, it doesn't actually burn you out 
<laughs> do it right it doesn't burn you out um because you also have to detach yourself from any sort of specific outcome if you go into this kind of profession saying like I'm going to transform everyone's life and they're going to be happy after they talk to me. Like you're really setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> you want to go in really open to whatever happened, uh, armed with the, all the tools that you need. Um, and sometimes you'll have people who are crying. Sometimes you'll have people who are super happy didn't see you. Some people like some people have let me, left me thank you notes, which is just like, I didn't ask for that, but that's amazing. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's a very delicate approach. But I never want to feel like I am uh, pulling someone in a direction that they don't want to be going into. I definitely want to be listening, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. It does make sense. And I feel like you kind of touched on the part where I feel a lot of people would struggle in, which is the detachment. Um, A lot of people put so much hope in the energy and the efforts that they put into other people's lives that it's very hard to detach yourself from that. So I felt like when you pointed that out, I was like, man, I couldn't do your job because I get very attached. I really do. And I always admire people who are able to be there and be loving and caring and supportive and not be so attached to the outcome of this person's life. So I I really, I really appreciate that you brought that up because I really felt that that was a very important factor that people needs to consider when you're in a profession or a field where you're helping people. Right. It's, I think it's the only sustainable way. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, you put yourself in a vulnerable position to burn out if you have those kinds of unrealistic expectations and you can't help people if you're burnt out. (laughs) You're not helping anybody. You're not helping yourself. You're You're not helping your clients. You're not helping your family if you're depleted. So you need to be able to balance that. Um, and honestly, when I, I'm, I don't think so highly of myself that every client who comes into my, um, presence is going to be completely transformed. Like, I feel like that's a really, I'm not going to have an ego trip <laughs> the <other> day. <laughs> Um, I think I, I'm more rewarded when someone is able to get themselves to a point of transformation, um, and realize that, you know, they have the capacity because when I'm not there, I'm not sitting across from them or sitting beside them, you know, they need to be able to keep it going because, you know, real change takes effort. It takes work. I'm not telling them to do it every moment. Like I can't have their success contingent on me being right next to them you know so it's just not sustainable across the board um and it's more it makes more sense if you really really listen to what people want to do and really help them recognize how they are capable of getting it done Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of rewarding when you see people really get to that level by themselves like they took your advice and they truly worked on it and they got to that level and you just sit there wowed because they put in all that work and you didn't have to do it they Mm -hmm. they took what you you said and they ran with it and it's just beautiful when you get to Mm -hmm. the end of the line and you see all of their hard work you know start blossoming this tree full of fruit that's it it's so awesome it I is awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the next question I got for you, my dear, and this one's a test. Have you ever felt that you failed at supporting a client and how did that affect you? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I, I have definitely felt like I failed a client before. Um, a part of uh, my work involves advocacy. 
advocating for people. Um, it includes like, you know, if there isn't the support that they need available, I try to use whatever resources I have to be able to make it available. And so there was a client who just, who needed a particular kind of support to help them. Um, and I, I, I tried to advocate, I advocated and I asked and I asked and I wasn't able to get the, the funding for that support in time uh, for the intervention. And I felt like I failed. I really did. I felt like I, I let her down. And this client was going through some really, really tough time um, just across the board, like, uh, like employment-wise, suicide ideation-wise, um, and just needed uh, that extra level of support. Um, I tried, to, I, I offered what I could, but I really put a lot of effort into getting more. And it because of the way kind of systems work and, and bureaucracy works, it didn't happen. Um, and that really affected me. I felt disappointed. Um, but I also turned it into fuel uh, because I don't want to be in that situation again. So mm-hmm. I make it a point to make sure, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see if I'll just make sure I'll have resources readily available. I'll try to improve my communication skills because you can always do that. <laughs> um, make sure you have allies in your corner, um, making sure that I'm I'm remaining up to date on kind of free or low cost resources available for, for the clients I serve. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of turned it into fuel because I was so disappointed. Um, and so I'm hoping that I won't have to deal with that again. Mm. Well, it sounds to me like you didn't actually fail. You might not have gotten the outcome that you wanted, but you, you didn't really fail because you did put in the work. You did go out there and you learned a lot about, you know, why you weren't able to push through that that barrier, that boundary that was put up that says, no, you can't do this. And so the fact that you transferred that disappointment into fuel to doing better and making it more available, making it easier for you to to get access to the things that you need to truly help people that come to you. I feel like that's not failure at all in my in my mind. I hear you. <laughs> I know. I hear you, but like ugh, if you were there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it this disappointment that it kicks you. Great. It's a disappointment that kicks you when you're down, trust me. It just knows how to to really mess with your mental health. But I'm glad that you kind of rose above that. You didn't allow that situation to get you down. You you did take it and you allowed mm-hmm. it to fuel you to do better, to pull you up from that pit of despair <laughs> and truly just go after it. So I, I feel like that's not a failure in my mind from the outside. If I was in your position, I would be kicking myself and going, you're so stupid. You're a dumb girl. You know what I mean? So it's easy from the outside telling you that you didn't fail. But if I was in your shoes, I would feel like a failure. I really would. Yeah, right? That's exactly it. Thanks for the question, though. Of course. It was a test. It was a test. Me on the spot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you notice a lot of individuals with diplomas and degrees coming in to access your service? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I served people who had whole successful careers, um, advanced degrees in tech, 
and uh, literature and all these things, you know, and life may have complicated things for them. And I know some of my clients, you know, they they had maybe a psychotic break in their mid-20s and, you know, that put them out of work for a number of years and then they became redundant. So to go back into the industry was hard. So we really had to tailor our approach and, and chart a uh, an employment path that dealt with, you know, the reality of their situation. Um, but it just really goes to show that it can happen to anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, mental illness doesn't discriminate, um, you know, and, and that's that's what's human about it. Um, and so I really, that's it's not that I was surprised that that's what was happening. It's just that, um, I guess it, it just made me sad, you know, because these the people I worked with, you know, they had whole careers. They did everything right, you know, mm-hmm. do everything right. <laughs> go to school, get a job, um, and maybe they got into an accident or maybe they, you know, their mental illness went south sideways. Um, either way, you know, they're, they're human and yeah. they deserve a right to to self-determination just like anybody else. Well, I really like how you, you pointed out, you know, that you could be ahead in life and still fall and you could be at the bottom in life and still be ahead. And I really like like how you broke down that it didn't really matter what station you were at what classism you were at you know how much money you had in your bank account you still had people from all different stages and different levels in their lives coming in and accessing the service and then the fact that you had to literally sit down with them and try to break it down and try to maneuver a way to make all of their hard work that they've put into their education getting that job Mm -hmm. all of that experience and trying to find a way to to make it so that it's adaptable in so many other industries or other sectors where they can go into and learn a bit more and grow and maybe even find that this was where they belonged in the first place. So I really do appreciate that you kind of broke that down and you showed that mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't matter where you are in life. You will always need no, I, this service. Any Absolutely. Any given day, I will. I would work with uh, a client who is illiterate, you know, and then, you know, the next client who walks in might have two degrees. So it didn't really matter um, either way they needed support and uh, I had to you know be flexible enough to adapt to their needs Um, I think the hardest part of that um, was really communicating with employers Um, not everyone is uh, open to to helping people who might come from um, marginalized backgrounds you know some people are not so ready to help people someone who's you know has a a gap in their resume because they had to seek uh, support mm-hmm. and, and deal with their health. Um, so that was probably the hardest part. The working with the client, beautiful. The the part in which, uh, you know, I go to job interviews with them. I would call employment to schedule interviews. Um, those were some of the toughest moments because, you know, they'd get so excited about the opportunity. I really think that this possibility, maybe after a long time of no sort of movement 
and then have an employer say, you know, you're not really the right fit. Or um, I, I, I think, you know, try calling back a different time, you know. And so I, I think it would be great in an ideal world if we had more solidarity amongst employers and organizations that employ people. Um, and I mean, there, there are different movements. I think the United Way uh, here in Ottawa does a great job of trying to bridge those gaps um, and different organizations do but you know it's it takes all of us it really does mm-hmm. well I find that you just kind of answered the second question which was why do you feel that people need employment support um so I'm gonna skip that question because oh. you did no it's not <laughs> okay. a bad thing I really like it because you incorporated <clears throat> some of the the needs that people might have um, that might not be addressed or people are not thinking about. No one, when I go into interviews and there's a gap on my resume, you know, it, it ought, you can see the look on their faces like, oh, what's wrong with mm-hmm. you? Are you going to be a problem? Are you reliable? You know, right. and so when they see that, they just, they start asking these questions and you can tell that they're really looking into the depths of your soul because they're like, you better tell the right answer. <laughs> So I love that. Yes. Yeah. So they, you know, they never really consider that maybe this person has this gap in their resume because number one, maybe they had to stay home and take care of their kids because um, daycare is too expensive or they were truly, really struggling with who they were or trying to find their path and their mental health was completely affected and they needed to take that time off to go and get help. Like a lot of people don't consider that when they see that when you go into a job interview, they automatically assume something is wrong. Maybe nobody wants you. Why are you unemployable? You know, why it took you that long to get there? And so that's kind of why I wanted to ask that question, which, you know, why do you feel that people need employment support? And you did already answer that if i could add though um to what you just said about you know the speculation that goes on on the employer recruiter end of things and the assumptions um are really damaging because you know you could probably assume from a gap that that person was being a human you know that person was having a human experience and getting to know what happened in the gap would actually maybe get to know them you know it could be a, a area to get them to know them better and understand um, what excites them, what their interests are, you know? So I think the generic way of employing people, the way that's kind of by the books, um, isn't necessarily as inclusive as as it could be Mm -hmm. for those reasons, you know? You're making these broad assumptions about people and and coming in with some biases. Yes, and I like that you kind of pointed that out uh, because in my experience, they do. They really do. You walk into the front door and they're automatically like, oh, okay, you know, you could have an Irish name Mm -hmm. or a European name and they're like, wow, you're black. (laughs) Or, you know, they just assume that, like, you have all this experience you you have all this behind you how is that possible um just based on your looks so i i really do like that you kind of brought up the biases that that we have to deal with on a regular basis when we go into doing a job interview especially if they they don't have a picture of you and i mean thank god for linkedin now Absolutely. they can just kind of go on linkedin and look you up and see your picture and decide if they want you or not and not waste your time <laughs> so I guess LinkedIn right. is beneficial in that sense. Mm-hmm. So the next question I have for you, my right, dear. Uh-huh. Oh, yep. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, it's it's important to be mindful of the biases. I think a lot of people kind of need to check themselves on that um, in the recruiting world. Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's hard out there. 
(laughs) Yes, it is. So the next question I have for you, my dear, is you moved on to another organization as an employment counselor slash mentor facilitator. What prompted you to move or to make that move? Hmm, Yes. Um, I like giving honest answers. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, I wasn't really happy where I was at. Um, I didn't feel uh, fully valued mm-hmm. for what I was bringing. Um, and I also didn't feel challenged in the right ways. So I thought, you know, why not? This is probably a good opportunity to move. Um, it's an or- I moved to an organization that I admired for some time. Um, and they had, a, particularly because they had uh, they have a anti-oppression uh, uh, policy, um, and they also have an anti-racism policy. Uh, I'm actually on the racial equity committee, so it's something that I helped uh, refine. Um, <laughs> but they already had one before I joined. But seeing that they already um, were mindful about these things um, really attracted me to them and, and making the move. So that's that's really why um, I made that move. Well, I kind of like your answer, your truthful answer as to why you you decided to move because it, it kind of brings me to uh, the article that you suggested that I read called The Great Resignation. That was one of the factors that they included in that article as to why there was such a large amount of people who resigned from their position to move into another position. Maybe they're looking for fulfillment or purpose, um, better pay, more opportunities. And one of, one of, the, one of the things that were on that list is what you had mentioned um which is somewhere mm-hmm. that you felt a bit more valued mm-hmm. so I, yes no it's, it's so important yes it's so important to me because i'm i'm someone who i like i mentioned earlier i have a growth mindset so i i'm more solution oriented i like to see things moving i like making mistakes and learning from them and and i felt that the environment that i was in wasn't particularly welcoming to that kind of approach Mm -hmm. um and i didn't want to stifle my growth so i thought moving made more sense and and luckily it did pay better the the pay was (laughs) was better so it just made sense overall Yes. And and I do like the point that you kind of brought up where, you know, you're in an environment where if you make a mistake, it's a learning progress. And I've, I've actually worked in in industries or for a particular employer where you're just not allowed to make any mistakes. So the stress level of having to mm-hmm. never make a mistake or you're a shitty employee was too much for my mental health. It made me anxious. It, it just it didn't I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning to go to work work because again if I make a mistake it's over right right yeah absolutely um it makes me think of um psychologically healthy workplaces so that's there's some literature out there that talks about these workplaces that uh won't allow you to make mistakes and those are not uh psychologically healthy spaces where people can uh share their diverse perspectives and and trust that they're going to be valued, um, you know, and, and that's something that I was seeking out. And I think a lot of people are looking for more and more these days. Yes. A place where they don't feel like whatever they have to say will be dismissed. Right. Yes. Right. I definitely that's understand it. that. So you were prompted or sorry, promoted into mentorship program coordinator position for the Ottawa Newcomer Entrepreneurs Hub. Was this a program you helped develop or was it created prior to your involvement? Mm, yes. Uh, yes, I, I, 
I got promoted to that position. Um, I'm still in that position now. Um, and to answer your question, I helped build that program from the ground up. It wasn't. It didn't exist until um, you know I signed on to that contract. Uh, I was really uh, excited to kind of uh, to kind of stretch my my project management kind of skill set yes. in this domain. Um, so it was very very um, fun and lots of learning took place slash still takes place. Um, I learned a lot about myself. Um, I I love automating things <laughs> so. Um, I'm really, I find that I'm really good at finding new different efficient ways to offer quality services. And I've been able to share those with my colleagues and improving our processes on a regular basis uh, so that our clients remain happy. Uh, we do focus groups so our clients can give us um, feedback on whether we're doing what they need us to do. Um, and I just really like that. I, I love being able to match people. That's mainly my job is matching uh, new immigrant entrepreneurs with seasoned uh, business professionals. Um, and it's really, really great because you know sometimes these connections just don't happen. I'm, my mom uh, was an immigrant entrepreneur. Uh, when she came to Canada, she had a uh, catering business. And so I can appreciate the process of, you know, leaving behind what you've known and wanting to uh, create something new here, but not knowing anyone. Um, I think for a lot of immigrant owned businesses, you know, they could have really benefited from networking. And so that's really what my uh, program does is it coordinates these really great connections to help people grow. Um, So yes, I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. And it also kind of makes me wonder what you just stated about creating opportunities for your clients is that the goal and objective of this program yes okay support the goals are to really make those those matches Mm -hmm. um but more deeper i'd say the mandate is to um support the self-determination of new immigrants um you know so that they can realize their potential um you know a lot of our small businesses are owned by newcomers um so canada actually owns a lot to to newcomers and and immigrants entrepreneurs so it's definitely um in our best interests as you know an ottawa ottawa citizens to help them any way we can and so i get to work with some really passionate volunteers who believe that um they're looking for ways to support um so they connect with me and i'm able to make those matches and um amazing things happen amazing things okay and why do you feel that mentorship was now more important within our climate Right. Um, I personally think mentorship, um, it, it helps with that idea that, you know, who you know, uh, it's who you know. You know, when when you are getting opportunities or you're seeking opportunities, obviously to do a cold call takes a lot of, you have to have a lot of personality to make to bring that home. Um, but mentorship is great because you have someone vouching for you. You have someone in your corner who's going to catch any mistakes that you make, you fill in any gaps that you have um someone who really has your best interest in mind and is in your corner um you kind of think of it like uh, you know if you're a boxer and you go to the side of the rink and you have that person who's like getting the sweat off of your head and everything like you have someone who's there to say okay that didn't work that's fine let's regroup and go back out there 
Um, so mentorship, I think, across the board is a really important tool for uh, inclusion uh, and belonging. Um, sponsorship is also uh, really great. Um, sponsorship being, you know, someone literally saying, I think I know the best person for this job, or I know someone who would be great on this project. You know, so those two tools are so helpful in kind of breaking those divides in the kind of the labor market where people are just like, you know, they're trying, they're really trying, they're applying jobs, they're doing interview after interview. Um, I think for a lot of people, the difference comes in when they have someone vouching for them. Mm -hmm. I like how, you know, you talked about mentorship and sponsorship, and then it just kind of, the way you explained it, it sounds a lot like networking and connecting the right person with the right mentor um, so that they can get into Mm -hmm. certain doors. I really like that that philosophy so this program sounds really awesome (laughs) i'm very proud of it yes (laughs) all right so i assume that all your positions in employment services required a lot of networking since we're on the topic of networking i know that organizations are trying to create a bridge between their organizations and the people they employ. It is difficult to accommodate the needs of everyone to sustain employees. What have you learned from your interactions with both on why employability has become increasingly hard? Mm-hmm. No, that's a good question. Hmm. I've learned that um, networking is just, it's a way to kind of find the people who are, um, who might share similar interests and similar ambitions um and you also get to learn about organizations that are doing things that are aligned with some of your ambitions um obviously it's it's not a perfect formula but um you know we have people who are highly gifted and they're seeking a place to to call call their work (laughs) call their workplace um, and and sometimes they just miss that mark. So I think networking is um, a really great tool. I don't think there's anything that can really replace it um, in the way that you can, one, communicate your skill set, um, quote-unquote branding yourself, um, and really also finding opportunities that you won't necessarily find behind a computer, if that makes sense. You know, like actually getting out there, actually meeting with people, and being a little bit vulnerable. Okay, I like that. All right so in my jump job hunting experience employers are looking for an ideal cultural fit but they don't often specify what that fit looks like or is it seems that how they judge your personality is a key factor over transferable skills in my opinion altering your personality to fit into the company culture sometimes isn't a good thing as in being different isn't really accepted As an employment counselor, what is your take on this power dynamic where job hunting has become more about what you can do for the organization rather than what the organization can do for you? Boom. Wow, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, this is a great question. Um, And something that's not often spoken about um, or unearthed. Now, 
I'm so, I'm sorry about that in your in your job experience. You know, it's never easy. I've definitely gone through it myself. Um, where people are telling me, oh, you know, you had all the right things on paper, but eh, you weren't necessarily the right fit. Um, and so yeah, as an employment counselor, um, I definitely see it as a way that organizations protect themselves from getting too diverse sometimes. Like that might sound controversial, but like I think that um, some places want to stay looking a certain way and acting a certain way and um, having people who might look differently or sound differently um, might be a no-go zone for them. So I think cultural fit as it's presented, um, can actually just be really um, a way of saying, we don't want you here. And it can be really demoralizing to people because it's not a real reason. Um, it's not like you can say, oh, I, I just need, you know, three more years of experience in this area, or I can take a like an online course and, and upskill in this way. No, it doesn't give you those those directions. It really just kind of settles on um, leaves this ambiguous kind of personality thing which is just not really great um i was actually watching a bbc sort of mini series mini doc um i was entitled why middle class kids get the best jobs and um you should definitely check it out if you haven't it's, it's really interesting it talks about how recruiters use the word poshed or polished mm-hmm. um when they address candidates and it's very similar to you know you're not a good fit you know cultural fit um and the researcher in the in the series was saying you know they use the word polish in a way um as a word to kind of connote this ambiguous term to, to to break down someone's accent they're talking about someone's behavior their mannerisms their dress um you know they're talking they can they're talking about kind of their class at the end of the day like is this person upper class is this person middle class it's like this umbrella term that's supposed to catch it um in some cases you know so i think again like it's not often talked about but it can really have a damaging effect on someone's mental health if it's not clearly defined mm-hmm. why they didn't get an opportunity. Yes. You know? um, and-, and some, you know, some uh, some employers offer that kind of follow up. I know the organization I work for, like if they don't go with a candidate, they, you know, the candidate has an option to set up an appointment to kind of talk about like, how that went. And um, but I don't think everyone does that. Um, and um, yeah, no, it, it's really challenging and really damaging to people. Yes. And, you know, while you were talking, the only thing that kept popping up into my head about, you know, cultural fit and, and why they, they choose to pick someone that looks the exact same way, they think the exact same way, is due to fear. They're afraid of the unknown. If they don't if they don't know or understand an individual that is outside a specific box, it, it makes them very scared. They always just assume that they're just going to have problems, they're going to have issues, and they kind of want to avoid all of that. So whenever I hear the term cultural fit I just I still to this day don't really understand what that means and it's such a fancy word and it's just used to kind of cover up 
what they're trying to say or you know it's almost like look it's a perfect answer because I don't have to to give you a a specific or an example of of what I mean it's just you're just not a good fit and it's like okay I guess that's an answer so I just kind of chop it up to fear you know yeah fear is definitely a big part of it um without question um but I think the organizations that are more inclusive don't necessarily uh, see see difference as something that's combative combative or contentious like they see differing opinions as opportunities to grow mm-hmm. you know if if you're an organization that does something a certain way and you invite somebody in who sees things slightly differently and is gracious enough to voice their opinion on maybe how they have done it differently or how they've seen the way you're, you're, you approach challenges go south like if you're an open-minded organization you can really use that to your advantage you can really uh, grow and there's definitely like business case for it I don't like calling it that, but there's a there are organizations that have really nurtured diverse um, talent pools, and they have seen the success in that. Um, and for the ones who are not, they're missing out. Um, and I'm gonna be a little sassy and just say we don't want them anyway. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> it's true. I dodged a because bullet. Exactly. Exactly. They're they're not ahead. They're they're behind at this point. Yes, and I think it took me a while to realize that um, after doing so many different interviews for so many different organizations and even organizations that should be reputable and they're so high on the totem pole when it comes to that wow factor after completing those types of interview and you know they're like well you're just not a good fit I I would hear that somebody I know would have gotten the job and after maybe three months I contact them going hey what's up how's the job going and they hate it so then I look back and I I go damn I was disappointed when I didn't get the job but now that I know that it's it's that bad working in this organization right. I was like you know I was being spared I was being spared yeah you dodged a bullet <laughs> I dodged a bullet yeah. So I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful. So the next question I have for you, my dear, is with the current shift from employers saying we need you to be flexible for our organization to we as an organization will be flexible for you. Do you feel that has contributed to the growth of certain organizations and their individuals they hire? Right. Yes. Um, I think that's a response from some organizations um, to address the um, the great resignation or the big quit. Is what they're calling <laughs> the it now. big quit. Um, where people are just fed up. Yeah, we're just fed up, and they're like, I don't want to be in a toxic work environment any- anymore. Cheers, like bye. Um, so yeah, I think that's they're kind of throwing things out there and trying to be flexible um, to see if that sticks. Like they're throwing together the world to see if it sticks mm-hmm. um i feel that uh it, it definitely does help um i have some i have a friend who works for a tech company who you know offers flexibility in terms of the hours of work um and equity packages and all those things and you know that's really great like it's it, it supports multiple parts of a person's being you know your personal development your your mental health and to you know the the four the first approach that you said, you know, when organizations have to, are kind of forcing you to be flexible um, and depleting yourself, I would say that's, it's really 
dehumanizing um, and push a lot of people towards burnout. And we have a lot, especially among teachers right now, we have a lot of burnout um, where you are put in a position where you don't have very many options or very many alternatives. Um, I saw a really cool uh, tweet today that said, um, you know, I'm going to turn on my vacation uh, reply, (laughs) email reply. And no, I'm not on vacation. I'm just doing this for myself for my mental health week. Um, (laughs) I thought that was the most amazing thing. Cheeky jokes. You know, if I need a break, I'll take a break, you know, and and that doesn't actually take away from anything. It actually makes me more resilient to keep going. Yes. And Um, and I think that employers need to understand that they're 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 working with people um, and people are not machines. People are people. Um, (laughs) And I think uh, bringing the bringing that perspective really helps with growth. Yes. And there's two things. Productive people. That is very true. They do the best work. And what I hear when I I hear the term we we as an organization will be flexible for you. What I hear is we value work-life balance. That's what I hear when I hear that statement. And we're focusing on that. And that's our goal. And we don't want you to work yourself to the bone for years for our organization and die miserable, unhappy, or feel undervalued in any way. So when when I hear that statement or just that sentence alone it just kind of it makes me feel like employers are realizing that we're people and we're not robots and so if you're happy it means that our productivity is going to go up and we Mm -hmm. will do what we need to do to make sure that you remain happy and have a fruitful life so that you can give us more of your time more of your energy live longer be working for organization past 65 because you just love your job and we'll get more out of it (laughs) you know we'll just get more out of you before you croak but you know in a positive way that's actually exactly that's actually the wonderful return you get when you actually care about people and they care for their jobs they actually want to do the work Mm -hmm. they actually feel a personal responsibility to its success um, a wonderful thing that I get from the, the organization I work from now is professional development. I absolutely, I love learning. Um, learning is a forever part of me, I'm a lifelong learner. And so I get, you know, sometimes I'll get funding to do courses. Um, they'll bring in facilitators and um, they're constantly investing into my growth. And even saying, you know, if you leave our organization, that's fine. We just, you know, we want to make sure that you have uh, that professional development. And that really makes me feel like they care about me and not just, you know, the, the bottom line or whatever. Yeah, the production. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, I just had to kind of throw that question out there from someone who's been in that industry of providing employment services, you know, what what languages are really attracting employees and and beneficial for employers to be using nowadays. So I, I, I just had to kind of put that in there. All right, next question. Um, the new mindset of providing purpose in positions. I know you can speak on that because your role provides you with purpose and you are doing important work. Um, do you think that is a priority for most people? Mm, short answer, yes. <laughs> I do think it's a priority for more people now uh, than before. Um, I can speak for myself in that I realized early on the most sustainable way for me to get up 
go to work, especially on snow days, was to be have my heart attached to what I was doing, you know, um, to feel like I was actually making an impact. And I think some people would argue that's like a generational thing where it's like millennials want to make an impact in the world. But like, legit. I want to feel like the work that I do uh, is meaningful to someone, valued by someone, um, and then I can see it. I can see the results. Um, and so, yeah, purpose is huge. Purpose is huge, and I personally argue that it's sustainable as well when you tie your purpose to your work. It's not for everybody, but um, it can be beneficial when that's your focus. Yes, and one of the reasons why I feel like purpose is beneficial is because a lot of people don't really look at their lifespan and how much time they actually spend working working for someone else yes that's eight hours a day but if you calculate the commute um back and forth and also the amount of hours you actually put into working um depending on how stressful your job is it can age you 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 feel like you've been working 12 hours in in within an eight hour span if that's the case and you spend more time in the workplace with people that you don't live with that are just your work friends and it adds up you spend more of your lifetime in a workplace in an organization rather than your real life rather than spending time with your family rather than making time for yourself you spend way more time in a workplace and that is one of the reasons why i thought if you're just working for a paycheck like most people are and you don't have purpose behind it you become unhappy your mental health is now affected um due to that and so I just felt like purpose was is still very important especially since we put so much time into working for organizations just to pay our bills that's it um absolutely I think coming from this lens it it really looks at you as a whole person and and looking at the intersections of work and life and family and uh, I love what you said around around that piece where you spend a lot of time a lot of hours um working based on our our current kind of society the way things are um around you know spending eight hours a day with people uh, who aren't your family members right that's a huge chunk of time Mm -hmm. uh and you're expected to do that for several years so it's I think it is, I like this point because it really points to um, our ideas around life. I, I playfully say, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't live to work, I work to live sort of thing at times. And um, I say that jokingly, um, just to kind of remember that, you know, I'm, I'm more than what I do do yes i'm also a person yes um and i'll say that's part of my own like decolonial decolonizing work is that i like to recognize myself as just someone who is i'm just a person who exists i'm not just a job title um i'm not who i'm serving next no i'm literally just a person um and that's important too i have a life i have ambitions i have dreams and you know these work structures these ideas around work are currently in flux right now and I think that's highlighting for a lot of people especially with the pandemic uh, people are just kind of realizing you know I want to spend more time with my family I want to pursue this hobby that brings me joy um, and I don't want to feel bad about it you know and I don't feel that people should feel guilty to want a balance that's actually sustainable that includes them taking care of themselves prioritizing their wellness prioritizing their self-care um, because 
it so happens, you know, that you actually show up in a more meaningful way to support others when your cup is full, you know? Yeah, and I really like that. I really like what you had to say there. So healthy work environment is another important factor in job hunting and trust me it for the past i guess year it's it's been a goal of mine i mean i'm looking for every red flag so i can just cut and run because i just i just don't have time for that so people are paying attention is a point that i'm trying to make it's like a bad relationship you're like well you're expecting me to work close to what 40 hours a week at this job and it's going to be a toxic work environment not happening deuces you know just bad relationship drop it like it's hot shit (laughs) so that's been my my mindset in it and i've been very aggressive about it very very aggressive i love it you have to be boundaries everything um it is not important to not just have a conversation but to put actions into it see how aggressive i was about that actions do you feel that yes (laughs) do you feel that there is a push to clean up toxic environments in the workplace since most organizations are losing good employees due to this yes um i feel like it's not happening fast enough (laughs) i agree what is happening I do see it. I do see it. Um, I see people demanding more out of their organizations. Um, I mentioned earlier before, you know, there are, is such a thing as like a, a psychologically healthy work environment. And there's, there's research and tools out there to help organizations get there if, if they so choose. Um, but, you know, that's important for people especially with it's a combination you know mental health uh having a moment right now and and supports hopefully coming in to match that demand but also having places of work that are conducive that don't just create another toxic cycle where people feel like they aren't allowed to have boundaries aren't allowed to you know care for themselves you know it it's a it's definitely a shift that needs to happen i love seeing it (laughs) I'm here for it Um, people are definitely paying attention and making that shift but it comes from people demanding more like any great movement it comes from people saying I've had enough we're not doing this I know what's what I need and it's not this (laughs) agreed um so I think right I think with people doing kind of their own work and their own self-care they just want to do what they find purposeful in an environment that doesn't make them feel like shit like I will, you know, so it's, uh, it's great. I love seeing it. Yes. I remember that every day. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, when I talk to certain people, they're always saying that the organization isn't toxic, it's the people. And in my mind, I thought, so you're taking the responsibility away from the organization and just solely blaming it on the people of the organization as being toxic. And that's something that has been rubbing me the wrong way for a while now is is not understanding that the organization is uh, a participant in all of this especially right. when they do nothing oh absolutely it's important to note that it's it's an and situation <laughs> like it can be one person it can be a whole organization it can be a group of people it can all be toxic like you know what i mean like it you don't want to absolve responsibility for an environment that promotes this i don't know if you've ever seen that show succession but like that kind of environment is <laughs> poster for toxicity um so it's 
it's incumbent on it, it's important for people to say no more and also this is what i want you know because it's great to kind of uh to get rid of the things that are just not healthy but you also have to create spaces for the, the good things to grow yes does that make sense yes it completely yeah. makes sense everything you say makes sense i don't even know why you asked that question <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to know. <laughs> well, I've never seen the show Succession. Uh, what platform is that on? I have no idea, to be honest. Well, if you find it, just send me a text. Okay. I'll add it to my. If it's Disney Plus or oh, Netflix, I, I have it, so I can just look it up. Okay. Um. All right. So yeah, it's a good show. Okay. Okay. I'm still kind of on Moon Knight right now, so you know, loving that. So as you should, it's only been two episodes, but man, I love it. Um, as someone, (laughs) (laughs) as someone in your position, you are handling a lot. How are you taking care of yourself while being pulled in different directions? Yeah, you have so much on your plate right now, which I know about, (laughs) and I'm like, how are you doing it? How are you doing it? I. I definitely listen to my body. I think that's the number one thing um, I do to take care of myself. I was blessed with a great therapist who kind of helped me realize that I wasn't fully recognizing my feelings or articulating my feelings um, due to just like trauma. And so I, uh, once I finally learned how to listen to my body and ask for what I need, um, that was a game changer. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier for me now to take care of myself and not get to that point of burning out or stretching myself too thin, even though I'm a busybody and I'm doing everything, um, <laughs> all the things. I still make time to be in nature, um, go for walks, water my plants, go on hikes. Like, I try to make time for those things because I know they're so nourishing. Like, I get so much out of going out on a walk for five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, I get maybe, out like, four hours or five hours of, like, a productive kind of focus time when I went outside for, like, a ten-minute walk. So I just try to balance it. I try not to neglect myself or neglect my need. I try to put boundaries in place where they're needed. Um, that was also another thing that I had to learn from therapy. Um, boundaries are hard. <laughs> boundaries <laughs> are hard. But they're so important. They're so important for living a life where you feel like you can show up authentically um, and actually be in relationship with people. Because I, ever since having boundaries, you know, I don't spend time in resentment. I really don't because I told you, <laughs> I told you what was what. So I don't have time for for like resentment or any sort of toxicity because I, I can I get to choose. Yes. And I, I, I know that power that I have. So I walk in that power um, and I allow other people to do it too. So, you know, if people put boundaries um, up and I'm in relationship with them, I often say, that's amazing. I usually like praise people and give them that positive recognition to positively reinforce that because I think everybody should be able to do that and not feel like um, guilty, you know? So, yes. Um, yes, I, I put myself in positions where I'm pulled in different directions, but what's most important is my wellness. Um, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I, I practice mindfulness meditation. I've been uh, a practitioner for over 10 years, so it's something I always lean on. 
to help center and ground myself. Um, I'm actually certified as a mindfulness meditation teacher, um, so I'm working on growing that, and it's it's really nice. It's really nice being able to share that with people um, because I don't just want it for myself. <laughs> I want yes. it for everyone. Well, I mean, we are planning on having you back to talk about that in more detail when the time is right, maybe during the summertime. Um, so definitely, I cannot wait to have this, this conversation in full about your new passion project that you're working on and the one thing that i really like that you you said was boundaries and i i feel like we need to come to a place in life where we view our boundaries as our best friends oh yes oh yes once we start to view it as our best friend we won't be be thinking it's hard (laughs) yes I have to say, I envision boundaries as like this bouncer. Um, <laughs> it's the bouncer of like, love me, and like you get the you get through the bouncer. That means you're you're legit. <laughs> exactly. You it's not your time. Um, but yeah, boundaries is your best friend because you should be kind to yourself. You should give yourself the grace that you need. We're dealing with a lot. It's still a pandemic. Um, I think I try to remind myself that often enough just to, to, to realize that like I don't need to be doing all the things. Um, I can take my time. Um, I can give myself grace for mistakes um, and growing. I literally tell myself, um, you're allowed to be a learner. Yes. I tell myself that all the time. I told other people that too. I'm like, you're allowed to learn. You're Agreed. A hundred percent. Yes. Every so time. where can people follow you? Right. Um, on LinkedIn, my first name, last name, so that's Nisha Reagan. Um, my Instagram plant dot t dot soul um so yeah that's where you can find me right now um i know we're going to chat about my my mindfulness project um but if people want to get a sneak peek that's at usawa mindfulness um on instagram so u-s-a-w-a mindfulness um yeah so that's growing as well okay well i'll definitely include that in the um post on instagram so if anybody would like to learn more about her organization they can click on you as well as your businesses and kind of go from there yeah sounds great all right well thank you so much for being a guest today and coming in and having the important conversations about employment and what we as individuals should be looking for and what they, you know, organizations should be looking for in their individuals and just how how to cope with with just employment in general. So I I just right. I want to thank you for coming in and and really having this important conversation. Oh, it was a pleasure. Um, anytime, anytime, I'll come back. All right. Well, you are coming back. You are coming back. We have another episode to do on your mindfulness business. Great. A little teaser there. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed our guest today. Thank you for supporting the Orchid Blooms podcast. Don't forget to click the follow button under Orchid Blooms podcast on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and Spotify. Visit our social media pages for our updates on our guests per week and our guests on the YouTube channel. Our social media pages are Facebook at The Ambitious Obsession, Instagram and Twitter at The Ambitious Ops. 
Don't forget to share your favorite podcast episode with your family and your friends. I hope you have a splendid day.